Welcome to the Victory Family Worship Center podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at thevictory.tv at gmail.com. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and begin to open them up. Um, our Everything that I'm going to be talking about is on our app. You can download our app, and there's some sermon notes on there, and um, you can... Um, we also have paper. There's a lot of people that like the paper, the old taking notes and writing on paper, and that's good too. But uh, everything I'm going to be talking about is online, and so um, grab your notes, grab your Bibles, turn your Bibles on, whatever you need to do, and let's get into this. Um, we're in a final message of this series called Free, and, and let me just give you some background. I'm going to kind of review for a minute to tell you where we've been. All of these sermons are available on YouTube. They're available on our website. You can go back and because there's four more preceding this. And so if you kind of think this is off the wall topic today, it's because I'm concluding something. And so um, the big idea of this series, the big point of this series is to get the church unleashed, to get this church, all churches, you know, we need to be unleashed. We need to be more powerful when it comes to using our giftings in the day-to-day life. Um, we started the first message three or four, four or five weeks ago talking about breaking limitations. And if you remember, I had a can and I was talking about the flea hitting his head on the can. And the big idea was we live within the limitations of what we can believe. Um, in other words, whatever your faith level is, that will usually determine how far that you're going to test God in your life. If you can believe you can jump this high, that's how high you're going to jump. If you can believe you can jump this high, that's how high you're going to jump. And so you're going to, you, you, are you going to break out of your limitations or are you just going to stay within the confines of your comfort zone? That's the challenge of week one. And then we talked about developing the gifts inside of you. Um, every one of you have a gift inside of you, uh, um, and I don't know what that gift is. And the big idea was your success is not determined by what you by what you do or what you have. Your s- success is determined by your stewardship over that gift. And so I, I believe in my heart. I know this is how it worked and played out in my life. That a lot of times, if you want to discover your gift, the first thing you need to do is just learn to serve and give. Because everybody has within them the gift to serve and give. And as you're serving and giving, God will usually open up more doors for you. But it's got to start with serving and giving. And then we talked about using your gift in the workplace, developing your gift, and using it in your day-to-day work, in your day-to-day walk, in your job places. Um, It is a fact that every one of us have been gifted in our workplace, our jobs, to do a certain thing well. And God's given us the ability to do certain things well. Uh, um, you know. And it's sad to watch people in the workplace not using their gifts. And they're wasting their gifts. And they're just not using their gifts in the workplace. And usually you'll find that those people are kind of miserable. And so it's very vital that you get into a job or a career path or some sort of ministry path, whatever it is, where you're using your gift well, whether it's teaching or whatever it is, you use your gift. And then we talked about living free. That was two weeks ago. How you live free, you can live free from sin controlling your life. 
The big idea was you can be free from sin when you give yourself completely to God. And that's what God's asking all of us to do. Give ourselves completely to God. Not three quarters of yourself, not half yourself. God wants you to give all of yourself to him. Your time, your money, your everything about your life, give it to God. And you can live free from sin controlling your life. I didn't say you would never sin I said you can, sin will no longer control you because a lot of times we're controlled. Uh, sin has a control. It's habits. It's, it's addictions. And you can break those, but you got to give yourself completely to God. And then we're going to conclude today. Um, you know, so the big question of that final message was how much are you, of yourself are you willing to give to God? And then we're going to conclude today uh, um, talking about the freedom to love. And let me just give you the context because where we're going today is going to be kind of, a, it's going to be kind of tough to swallow because I'm going to push some buttons here today because today I want to talk about the culture of this church a little bit. The culture and the way we do things at this church and what our goal is at this church. And if you remember a few weeks ago, I was talking about the difference between Chick-fil-A and some of the other restaurants out there, the other food chains. Um, if you remember me talking about that and, and, and doing a, an illustration, and the point was there is a certain culture in Chick-fil-A that was set in place from the very foundation, from the very beginning. Um, the Christian ownership of that organization, they created a culture and a way of doing business with their customers unlike anyone else. How many of you would all agree with me that Chick-fil-A does things a little different than McDonald's? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, you know, it's night and day, you know, or Burger King or any other fast food restaurants. Um, you can tell the difference when you walk in Chick-fil-A. You can tell the difference by the way the employees work. You can tell by their attitudes. You can tell by the way they think, by the way they function, by the way they dress, by, the way, by how clean the place is. I mean, they'll be cleaning your table before you're even through. They'll be wiping it. And, and you know, how they, how they serve people at Chick-fil-A is so different different from anybody else in the food industry, fast food industry. And that's why even though they're a fast food industry, they Chick-fil-A does twice the business, they have twice the revenue than any other fast food chain out there on a year basis. They double their revenue every year. And so part of that reasoning is because the owners of Chick-fil-A will only allow you to own one Chick-fil-A. In other words, you can't own multiple Chick-fil-A's. I couldn't own a Chick-fil-A here and, and one down the road. I can only one, own one Chick-fil-A. You can't own multiple Chick-fil-A's. And, and because the reason for that is they want to protect the brand. They want to protect how they do business and the integrity of that business. They want the owners to focus on one, one place and do it well. And that's kind of a similar church pattern the church has a similar pattern. The church's culture, churches in general, a church's culture many times determines how many people it ministers to. It, de it determines a lot of other things too, the population and stuff like that. But the culture of a church determines what kind of people are coming out of that church uh, that are representing Jesus Christ. And so just so you understand what kind of church you're at this morning, the Victory Family Worship Center, our, our goal, our, our, 
our whatever, our, our standard, our, our mantra has always been to build a church that is based on people doing the work of the ministry outside of these walls. We, we want people going outside of the church. We want to take everything that God's put in you, we want you to take it outside of these walls. That's why we do backpack giveaways. That's why we do coats for kids. That's why we do this huge Easter outreach. That's why we do those kind of things. And it's really about the life that you're living out in the community. Are you producing and representing Jesus in the community? Because all of you in this place are the apple of God's eye. And God wants to do things through you. And my role is simply to build you and and help you to understand and teach you how to be more like Jesus out in the community. Amen? That's my job. That's what I'm here for. And so in the process of becoming more like Jesus, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes there's correction. And sometimes you need to hear things. Sometimes you need to be challenged. That's why I'm giving this, uh, this claimer today, because you're going to be challenged and you're going to be hearing some things today uh, um, to help you get through this process. So through this series, we've been taking you through this process of what it, likes to, what it looks like to live free. And so if you can digest these concepts today, it'll change the way you view ministry and change the way you do things and change how you outlook how you look at your community and your neighborhoods and your job places and so i want you to think about the thought today the title of today is the freedom to love the freedom to love now if you're going to understand the freedom to love we got to understand the challenges we face I'm asking you to love this lost and dying world. We're asking you to love your community. We're asking you to love uh, the, uh, the, un, the, the unreached out there in our communities. But you've got to understand the challenges we face. And as I've been, you know, as I visit with pastors and talk with pastors and sit around with other pastors and, and meet with pastors and discuss the future of the church, um, you know, from March even up to today, you know, all through those months and, you know, just, you know, there's a real heaviness on pastors right now. And, and, you know, they may look all right, but there's a heaviness because when we have discussions in our little round tables, um, we see the writing on the wall and, and the writing of the wall is, is, you know, it's a, you know, we see what's happening in America right now. And so do many of you, and and don't get me wrong, but I'm going to expose what's going on so we know the challenges we face. Because the population in America has doubled, but the population of the church has been cut in half. That's a fact. And so right now, I'm going to give you some statistics, and they're mind-blowing statistics. And, And you might even have a hard time getting your head around these things, but if you're a young adult and you believe in Jesus Christ, you're part of the 15% of society right now that's young and believes in Jesus Christ. Only 15% of young adults, 20s, 30s right in there, follow Jesus Christ and go to church and attend church in any way, shape, or form. 15% of the young adults in our society, not Friona, in our society, 15%. That means 85% of the young adults no longer attend church. They no longer participate in Christianity whatsoever. And there's some reasoning behind that, and I'm going to get into that. 
But think about 85% of the young adults. Think about what that means for the American church. Think about what that means for America in politics. Think about what that means for, for any, the future of anything, any organization. Think about what that means. The United States now has more secular, unchurched people than most of the na- other nations of the world. Our Christian America, our Christian nation has more secular, unchurched people than, uh, you know, people like Africa and Korea. They're sending missionaries to America to evangelize us, to help us get saved. That's what's happening in America right now. Uh, uh, one, of the, one of the well-known pastors said this, and, I, and it really resonates with me. And I, I've been, man, I've just been thinking about this for weeks. Um, he said this. He said, America is the only place where pastors have to spend 30 minutes convincing people they're not saved. Because in America, most people think they're saved. They live in America. Hey, I'm saved. I live in America. I'm going to heaven. Even though they're not living for Christ. That's a fact in America today. Used to be we would preach from the pulpits and we would spend 30 minutes paving out the way to get saved. Now we got to convince people they're not saved and spend five minutes. <laughs> so it's kind of backwards. That's the nature of American cultural Christianity. We're now the third largest mission field in the world. The English-speaking world is the third largest mission field in the world next to China and India. Currently only, watch this, currently only 6% of adults, adults, not young adults, adults, if they've not received Jesus Christ before the age of 18, only 6% will find their faith in Christ after 18. Do you, so let me get this. Do you understand the importance of children's ministry and youth ministry? It's so important. It's so vitally important that, that we, that's why we put an emphasis on children's ministry and youth ministry here. 6%, that means 94% of the people you've, that have not been saved after the age of 18, they're probably not going to get saved. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm not putting God in a box. God can do anything. I'm just giving you some statistics. Currently, only 25% of the adult population in America claims to have any strong affiliation with a a local church. And if they do, most of those adults only attend once or twice a month on average right now. That's the average attendance. So what is, what, you know, and so what does that say about obedience? What does that say about commitment? What does that say? There's something seriously wrong with the state of a church, with the state of the church in America right now. And, and any, you know, and that's why pastors, that's why we have these conversations. We got we to gotta figure out how to attack this, how to focus on this. Every denomination across the board, I don't care where you're at, is losing attendance at a record pace right now. Approximately 200 uh, uh, churches are closing the doors in America right now. So every single week, there's churches closing. You know, so many churches during COVID, they lost. They, they just quit meeting because they were meeting in schools and auditoriums. And when the schools shut down, guess what? They shut the doors for the churches too. And, and so many churches planting campuses in bigger cities, you know, using the schools. And, and I, I was always, I always loved that idea. And it never dawned on me that they had to shut the doors because the schools shut the doors. And so um, the fastest growing, this is, this is one blows me away, the fastest growing religion in America right now is not Catholics, it's not Christianity, it's not, it, it's not Buddhism, it's not anything like that. The fastest growing religion in America right now is social justice. Uh, 
It's social justice. Young adults have traded worshiping God and worshiping Jesus Christ for worshiping social justice. Now, if you don't know what social justice is, it's basically caring for people. I, I'm, a, I'm, I, I'm all about social justice. I'm all about, I'm a fan of social justice. But you can't replace worshiping Jesus Christ and worshiping our Lord and Savior for worshiping social justice. But that's what's happening in America. Because young adults, whether you, you know, I don't even want to, I don't even want to put a generation, Generation Z, Millennial Generation, I don't want to put any, young adults have got so disillusioned with Christianity and the church. And so there's three primary causes to that. There's, some, there's, some, there's a reasoning behind that. And, and three of the primary causes why young adults have got disillusioned with the church and Christianity is, it, it's in your notes, you can write these down if you want to, but number one, first of all, young adults, they have trust issues. They have trust issues. Um, it, I mean, I can talk all day about this, but there's trust issues everywhere they look. They, they don't know what, they don't know, they don't know if they can trust issues. They, they, they have a hard time trusting authority, whether it's police officers, whether it's principals in high schools, whether, whatever it is, they have a problem trusting authority. They've, young adults, young people have grown up in environments where authority figures have let them down. Political authorities, governmental authorities, church authorities, business authorities. And what's happening right now is when young people get into the church, they look at the authority when somebody says, hey, you need, you know, you know, an authority comes in and tries to correct them. Uh, they, they resist that. They push back to that authority because they don't want to submit. Everybody wants to have a say in everything. Nobody wants to be under any kind of authority. And the Bible is all based on authority. The Bible is all about authority, and no, you know, young people don't want people telling them what to do. So that's number one, and then number two is we have tolerance issues. Young people, young adults, and I'm not putting the blame on young adults. I'm just saying, generally speaking, people have tolerance issues. Adults have tolerance issues. We've grown up for two decades, and there's this, there's this, um, this religion of tolerance. You know, the mantra of young America is tolerate everything, uh, everything you desire to do, everything anybody that anybody wants to do. Let's just all be tolerant. Let's tolerate everything. Let's coexist with everybody's beliefs. Let's not judge anyone. Let's tolerate everything. And like I said, it's a religion of tolerance. And then the third issue is trust issues, truth issues. Trust was first, but then the third one is truth. What is truth? People are asking those questions. Young people are asking those questions. What is truth? Your truth may not be my truth. And so we see, you know, so this mentality is we need to value everybody's truth. And we don't necessarily, we don't necessarily know what truth is. There's no, you know, in many people's minds, there's no such thing as absolute truth. And, there's, and that comes in direct conflict with the Bible. Y'all see where, see where I'm going with this? Because uh, um, the Bible declares it is the truth. John, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. And, and a lot of people have a hard time swallowing that. They don't, people don't want to accept that that's the only truth. The Bible says once you come to know the truth, though, the truth will set you free. And so the challenge in so many people's lives is 
And the question of so many people's lives is, can I submit to that truth? Can I submit to God's truth? That's the challenge. Do I believe God's truth as the ultimate and absolute truth? Is God's truth the truth? Or is it just another truth that's out there? Those are the questions. Those are the challenges facing the church. People have got trust issues, tolerance issues, and truth issues. And, and we, that, that, you know, we have to overcome those challenges in an unchurched world that's emerging before us in America right now. So how do we overcome those issues? How do we, how do we overcome those challenges? In order to teach and, 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 and have an influence on the next, next generation that's emerging in our nation. This is the great burden of pastors. This is, this is the questions that pastors are asking. This is the burden of pastors. This is the burden of anybody who cares about our nation, cares about our society, cares about people. This is the great burden for anybody that wants to make an impact for the kingdom of God. That's the big question. So in the church, we have to set a culture. We have to set a standard so that we can overcome those issues. And so what I want to try today is reset or reestablish. These have always been, this has always been our mantra. This has always been our culture, but I want to reset and establish the heart of our church here at Victory Family. What does God want our church to be like in order to overcome these challenges? Does God want us to be, are we going to be a Chick-fil-A or a McDonald's church? That's what it boils down to. That's the conversation we're going to have today. Does God want this church to be a place where people can really see Jesus and see Jesus through people? Or is this just a church that we come to on Sunday mornings and we just, it's, it, it, you know, and we just want to feel good about ourselves and go home? That's the question. That's the struggle. That's the conversation. So there's three things that I want you, to, three principles that I want to give you that I want you to Put inside of your spirit today and, and, and let these resonate with you so that you can understand the culture of our church and my heartbeat and, and what I'm trying to establish in this church. And the first thing you need to understand, the first principle is this, is you've got to, we've got to have a culture in this church of love instead of religion. Love comes first instead of religion. So um, I did this this morning. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to take a straw poll. This is not to embarrass you. This is not, I, I, but I need you to participate because it, 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 you'll see, you'll, you'll understand my conversation. So the first thing I want to ask is, how, you know, if you've come from another church to this church, you know, and there was a lot this morning, another denomination, another church, Baptist church, Catholic church, Methodist, Episcopal, I don't care. If you came from another church to this church, raise your hands real quick. It's okay. There's a lot of you. I know. That's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, um, as a matter of fact, there's more of you here than there was this morning. And so let me ask you another question. How many of you just came to this church and got saved in this church and this is the only church you've ever known? Is there anybody in here this morning? There's a couple of you. And that's good. There was more of them this morning here than, yeah, it was kind of backwards this morning. But uh, um, so here's what I'm trying to say. Let me, let me explain something. In a church like this, and there's a lot of churches like this, when you have multiculturals, more than one culture. You have multi-generations. There's a lot of generations represented here. There's a lot of de different denominations represented here. There's, there's a lot of different feelings. And so when you put that all in a pot and stir it up, 
You, see, you feeling me? You have all kinds of theologies. You have different doctrines. You have all these kinds of things. We have all these traditions that we came out of. And, and sometimes if we're not careful, we try to bring those thoughts, those traditions, and those ideas into this one pot all together. And we try to make this church look like the old church that we came out of. And, 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 and so... You have to understand you're not in your old church no more. And, and I understand more than anybody. I'm having these conversations between services today with some people. And, and, you know, I know better than anybody that it's hard to drink new wine when you've been drinking the old wine for a long time. You know what I'm saying? It's hard. And, and a lot of you have gone through that process. Um, but sometimes, you know, sometimes the old wine sounds better. Sometimes the old wine tastes better. You know what I mean? And, and, and I get that. But what we're trying to do at this church is, is not be religious about this. Not, not uh, um, you know, because religion, if you study the life of Jesus, religion was the number one enemy of Jesus Christ. It was. It's hard to understand, but because we usually think of religion as a good thing, but religion was not a good thing in the Bible. Jesus, the, it, it was like a cheese grater. Jesus and religion, because the, the people, the religious people fought against Jesus because Jesus was so non-religious and non-traditional. And I know a lot of you have come, you raised your hands and you've come out of those traditions and, you know, and religion and, you know, a lot of things. And, and Jesus didn't, he didn't dress like the religious figures. He didn't talk like the religious figures. He didn't use the religious language. You know, oh, glory to God and hallelujah and amen and, you know, and, 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 and all these, this church lingo that we have in the church, you know, let's praise the Lord and, 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 you know, all this. Jesus really didn't talk like that. That language came from religions, other religions and other denominations. And the, the dressing up and the suits and everything like that, uh, that came from religions, Jesus didn't wear designer suits. He didn't wear any of that. Jesus, what I would argue, he looked like the culture. He would dress like the culture. He would dress like the people because that's the way it was. And that's why people couldn't understand Jesus. They couldn't understand it. Who is this guy? He doesn't dress like this. He doesn't look like this. He don't act like this. The religious leaders were just, they were just appalled at this. Is this really God? This can't be because he don't look like us. He don't act like us. He don't talk like us. This can't be God. And then to top it all off, Jesus hung out with the non-religious people. Look what he said in John chapter 13, verse 35. He said this. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment. Now, he didn't do away with the, old, the Ten Commandments, but he said, I want to give you a new commandment. Love one another. Everybody say, love one another. I give you a new commandment, love one another. Love one another in the same way that I loved you, you love one another. And then he went on to say this, that's how everyone will recognize that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's how everyone will know that you are my disciples. Not because of what church you go to, not because of how you dress, not because of how you talk, not because of how much you read your Bible, not because of how much faith talk you have. Oh, I'm a man of God. I'm a, I'm a Christian. You know, I, I, God's going to do this. And God, you're not, not by that. It's not by any of that. Jesus said, I'll recognize you're my disciples because of how much you love people, how much you love, how much you care, how much you value people. That's how they'll know if you're a disciple. When other people see that you love one another and you care for one another, that's how you'll know that 
people will know that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. When you come to church, do you come to love one another? Do you come to value people and talk with people and hang out with people? Or do you just come to church to go through the motions and just just check off a checklist and say, I came to church? I want you to think about that. Because so many people, I mean, and this, this, this falls into religion. It falls into checklist religion is what I call it. They come in early, they leave late. I mean, they come in late and they leave early. I would love to see, I love to see people come in early and leave late, but it's usually backwards. They come in late, leave early. And, and I know some people are running late, stuff, but listen, hear me out. You know, so these are the type of people that want to come in and they don't want to talk to anybody. They don't want to see anybody. They don't want to interact with anybody. They, don't, they want to, you know, because I know a lot of people are late, that's a different story. But people come in, they just, they, they, you know, when, when the music starts, they come in, they sit on the back row, and then when I, say, when I say every head bowed, every eye closed, I can see the doors opening up, you know, and people are exiting and run, running out because they don't want to interact with people. They don't want to talk to people. Or some people come to church and, and they just, you know, we want to talk to people, but we want to fellowship with only people that look like us that are in our circles that are in our socioeconomic status, that are our color. What would it be like if you walked to somebody that was a different race or different socioeconomics, different, different boundaries, different backgrounds than you and just love them, just care about them instead of just loving people just like you? Think about how you hang out with people. Think about how you interact with people today. I'm challenging you. I'm, I, I, this is going to be challenging. What about the people that come in the door that don't look like Christians? <laughs> you ever thought about that? Wow, look at that person. Can you believe she's dressed like that? I need to go over there and straighten her out. Let me get my Bible. <laughs> people do that. <laughs> and listen, listen to this about Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. When Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, his disciples, and then the, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10, a lot of disreputable characters, disreputable characters, look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. <laughs> disreputable characters. Now, I, I know you're sitting next to your spouses and stuff like that, but across the aisle, you have no idea who you're sitting next to. It could be an axe murderer. Disreputable characters. Look at the scriptures. A lot of disreputable characters came in and joined them. And when the Pharisees and the religious people saw Jesus keeping this kind of company, they had a fit. They lost their minds. And they lit into the Jesus followers. That's what the scripture says. They said, what kind of example is this from your teacher acting all cozy with the crooks and the riffraff? Jesus overheard this and shot back. I love Jesus because he always shoots back. And he said, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? <laughs> I love that. That's all he said. He basically told him, go figure out what the scripture means. He said, I'm, not after, he said, I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm going to invite, I'm not, he, he, he said, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm here to invite outsiders and not coddle insiders. Whew. 
So just so you understand, this church is filled with a lot of riffraff and a lot of disreputable characters. How many of you know, how many of you admit that you were a disreputable character at some point in your life? Yeah, see, we're all, this church is full of them, and I love that. And the point is, the, cel- the culture of a healthy body of Christ, that body, the church, they love people in spite of their problems and in spite of their dysfunctions. We don't look at the, the problems and the dysfunctions. You love people anyway. We care about people. That is a sign of a healthy body. That is the culture of this church. It doesn't matter what your past is. The point is, it doesn't matter even what you did up to yesterday. The point is, you're here today and you're moving forward. That's what we're here about. We want to love you too. We want to love you forward. Amen? That's what we're here about. The second thing is, is we want, in, in the church, we have to develop a culture of grace instead of judgment. And grace instead of, and this is where the, there's this is where the tension comes into the church. This is where the tension comes in because the church, Christians, we have the Bible to guide us when it comes to right and wrong, good and evil. We look through the lens of the Bible. And a lot of people out there in the world that are unsaved, they don't look through the lens of the Bible for right and wrong and good and evil. They don't look through the lens of the Bible. And so when we start to read the Bible, you'll begin to see uh, the format of what it means to live a holy life. A lot of you know this. You, you've gone through this process, and you know what it means, and it, and, it, and, it, and it grates with the rest of the world. There's tension here. A holy life for God means that there's some changes that have to take place within you, and it's a process. When you come to know Jesus Christ, you've got a lot going on inside of you from your past, that, you, that has to, And that stuff needs to be delivered up out of you. And that's a process we take you through. That's why we have a class called Moving Forward. That's all about inner healing. We do that uh, Wednesday nights. We have two more classes. And then next Sunday night, starting next Sunday night, not tonight, next Sunday night, we're going to start it again. And it's four classes. And it's about getting that stuff, that past that's inside of you, getting it outside of you and getting it delivered out of you. And, and see, the salvation of your spirit happens instantaneously. But the salvation of your soul is a day-to-day thing. That's something that you work on day-to-day. Um, so you're, you're, day-to-day, you're regenerating your mind. You're regenerating your lifestyle. You're renewing the way you think. That's a day-to-day process. And the challenge and the tension of the church is that there's a lot of people in the church that have gone through this process and they're on the other side and, and they've been serving God for a long time and they're living a better life and, and, and they're not being controlled by sin and they're starting to live a more holy life and there's those people. But then there's people that they come in contact with that are just beginning the process. You understand what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, we have these expectations of these people that have not been through a process. But we have to be patient and love them through the process and not be judgmental of their past. And the tension is, how are the saved and restored going to respond to those that are coming out of the world and coming into salvation? That's always been the tension in the church. We want them to say a prayer and clean them up real quick on Sunday and we're good to go. But it's a process. For some, it takes longer than others. Are y'all following me? I'm going to give you an example because this is, this is the best way I know to illustrate this tension. And it's, and it's, it's when it comes to same-sex marriage. Yeah, welcome. I talk about anything up here. 
Um, and I don't know if you've ever been confronted with that in the church, in, in the church environment. I have. I've been down some of those roads. But let, let me just kind of explain this and show you how the tension comes into the church. Because immediately when you talk about same-sex marriage, there's tension. And I want to make sure that, you know, first of all, I as a pastor, as a church leader, I want to make sure that I understand I, that I stand on God's truth and, and stand on the word of God and stand on the principles of God and I don't want to violate or compromise any of that. But at the same time, I don't want to alienate anyone from the gospel of Jesus Christ and the process that God might bring, be bringing them through. You understand what I'm saying? And, and so I have two choices when I'm confronted with, and I'm just using this as an example, same-sex marriage. I have two, I have two, I have two options two choices. Number one, I can jump in and say, well, let me tell you how it's supposed to be and let me get the word of God and just, blah, 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 and just let me, this is the way you got to act. Or I can do what Jesus did and ask some questions. What would Jesus do? And we all wore those t-shirts and those bracelets in the eighties. What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would ask some questions. Jesus would start asking questions. For example, the woman at the well, Jesus was talking to her, and she jumps out and says, hey, why is it that you, a Jewish man, is talking to me, a Samaritan woman? That's not kosher. <laughs> You're not supposed to be doing that. That's uncool. Jews don't talk to Gentiles. We're, uh, and and in Jesus, instead of Jesus jumping right into the middle of her, you know, what's wrong with this woman? This is what's wrong with you, and giving her what for, Jesus just starts to get into her life a little bit and starts to talk to her about her life. Ask, and then he asks her some questions. And he, immediately she picks up on the fact that, hey, this man cares about my life. She just, he really genuinely cares about my life, in spite of the fact that she's been married five times and divorced five times. Jesus just asks some questions. And can I, can I just tell you something? Every one of us have a story about why the way we are the way we are. We all have a backstory, right? And, and so, listen, before I got saved, I'll just, I'll just be straight up truthful with you. Before I got saved, hey, man, I, was, I lived a sexually immoral life. You know, I mean, I was a young man and living in the 80s, but it was heterosexual immorality. And when I came to Jesus Christ, I was like, dear Lord, some of this has got to change, but I don't know if I can change. You know, I got I to I change this way by the way I'm thinking about this and, you know, the way I think about women. And, I, you know, I, I don't know if I can change. You know, this is the way I was born. I've been like this all my life. I don't know. Uh, but then I began reading the Bible. I began going through this process, and I began to realize that Jesus said, listen, nobody can change the way they feel about sexuality until they're born again. You have to be born again. I didn't understand that at first, what that means, you know, that, that means in your life right now that, that, that your old life has to die, that your old lifestyle has to die so that you can start a new life with God. And it doesn't matter if it's homosexuality or heterosexuality, it doesn't matter what you believe or what you think you were born with, we're all born with desires that do not line up with the word of God. Can somebody say amen? And, and so... So heterosexuality, homosexuality, it's all about, it's all sinful outside the boundaries of marriage. Are y'all with me? 
And, and when you come to Christ, you'll begin to understand. And when you begin to go through the process, you'll begin to understand that your body was designed for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the area that this is what I'm talking about. You give your life completely to God, even your body. And you understand that your body is not for your pleasure to do what you want. Your body was, it's designed to do things God's way and not your way. And so my goal is not to just flippantly tell someone, hey, you got to clean up your act before you can come to church here. That's not what we want. That's not the culture of this church. Um, Regardless of your past, I love you. This church loves you. We care about you. And I'm here to help you through the process. Does that make sense? I'm here to help you through the process. I want everyone to come to church here while you're going through the process. We don't want you to go through the process and then come to church. That's, that's backwards. The church is here. We're a hospital. We're here to help you. We're here to help you through the process. Can somebody say amen? So it's not our job to set people straight and tell them they got to get their life together before they can come to church. That's not our culture. That's not the culture of our church at all. I believe God loves everybody, the gay community, the non-gay community, the Republicans, the Democrats, the independents, the the tech fans, the Texas fans. God loves everybody. (laughs) Duke fans, UNC fans. I told him this morning I believe he loves Duke fans a little bit more, but I'm just partial, but I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Everybody has a story, and we're all sinners, and we all need salvation. Can somebody say amen? Can we agree on that? We, we can't expect somebody to change until they've given their heart to Jesus. Jesus will then begin to work in their life. Amen? So heterosexuality, homosexuality, it doesn't matter what kind of sexuality is. It's, it's immoral. Sexual immorality is sin outside the boundaries of marriage. And so we have to make changes in our sexuality when we come to Jesus Christ. We have to make a lot of changes in our life when we come to Jesus Christ. That's the process. We'll help you through that process. Some of you are going through the process. I told them this morning, I've been going through the process for 20 years. I'm st- I, it's still a process. We're all a process. We're all a work in process. God loves you. God cares about you. This church cares about you. But there is a process of change that God expects from us when we come to know Jesus Christ. Um, there, we, he expects us to make some changes. And it takes people being grace-oriented and not being judgmental-oriented, right? So part of the challenge with the church is we've, we all, we, we've had a faction of the church that's been judgmental for decades. I mean, the church has a tone and a reputation of being judgmental. Decades past, I mean, this, and I'm generally speaking, the church has a rep, reputation of being judgmental. There are issues These are the issues the churches are facing. This is the dynamics that the churches are facing facing right now. Sexuality issues, the social injustices, the moral issues of the day. And how do we handle those things? And just so you know where I'm clear personally that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and we will honor Jesus Christ in everything that we do and and we will do, we will honor what the Bible says. Uh, But at the same time, we need to represent Jesus to the lost and hurting generation that's outside of these walls that's grown up in confusion. 
There's a lot of confused people. It's not that they're, they're wrong or they're bad people. They're confused. There's trust issues. There's abuse issues. There's, there's single parents. There's, there's all kinds of issues out there. And if you're struggling in an area, listen, we love you. If you're watching online, we love you. We welcome you in this church through all your issues. We deeply care about you. We want you to come to church here today. We want to love you through the process. And as you get closer to Jesus Christ, as a person gets closer to Jesus Christ and closer to the cross, I believe Jesus Christ does the work inside of people and begins to weed out some of those things. Jesus changes people. Churches don't change people. And so if people could do the work on their own, if churches could clean people up, we would have a clean, we would have a clean community. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but God does the transformation work. So we need a culture of love instead of religion, a culture of grace instead of judgment. And then finally, the last one is this. We need a culture of others instead of self. Thinking about others instead of self. And, and that's one of the things that I've learned in the Bible, even in the past four or five years, even, you know, just, I'm always coming back to this. I'm always circling back to this right here. One of the most things that jumps out of, out of, the, out of the Bible to me the most that I, I've learned and I'm learning to apply this to my life is most of us, when we come to Jesus Christ, most of us are selfish. We're selfish. Well, I mean, we, we bring our Christianity under selfishness, and, and we, even, we even act out our Christianity under selfishness a lot of times. And I, like I'm generally speaking, but we never fully express loving others the way that Jesus wants to love others because we love ourselves more. And, 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 and I'm... And, and I'm you know, I, just to be clear, you know what I mean? We, we are always protecting ourselves. We're always protecting. We always, we always have that stiff arm out a little bit. You know what I mean? Because when you start loving others in their dysfunction, you start loving others in their hurts, it gets messy. When you start loving the unlost and meeting the needs of the lost generation, it gets messy. And so we always have that arm sticking up just a little bit. There's always this selfishness there. And to make this clear, let me, to help you make clear, kind of help you understand this, where we want to get as a church, I, I believe there's four levels of Christianity in everybody, and, 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 and all of you are at one of these levels right now. So let me just kind of explain them. Number one, when people first come, a lot of people that come to church, that attend church, they're at the information level. You know, everybody's been here or they're here right now. That's knowing about Christ. You, you know about him. You have some head knowledge. You're aware. Uh, um, you're self-aware. Um, you know about Jesus Christ. You've heard stories about Jesus Christ. But you're not necessarily born again. Just have a knowledge of Jesus Christ. There's a lot, there may be some of you here today. I don't know. The second level is what I call the revelational level. This is where you get a revelation of who Jesus Christ is and you start to understand what Jesus Christ did on the cross and the atonement that he made for your sins. And, and you start to understand. When you sing songs about the blood of Jesus Christ, you start to understand what the blood is all about. You start to understand what the cross is all about. You start to understand the sacrifice and the forgiveness of sins. This is the revelational level. And it starts with, with uh, you know, 
your eyes start to open up to the reality of Jesus Christ, that he may be real, <laughs> that he is real. And, and, and it just starts to become revelation to you. And now when it becomes revelation to you, now you have to make a decision about it. You have to make a decision about it. What are you going to do with the reality of the cross? What are you going to do with the reality of Jesus Christ that, hey, man, he really did die for my sins. And that goes to the third level, and that's the incarnation level. And that's when a person gets born again. They surrender their life to Jesus Christ. Now Jesus Christ is living inside of you. I told you, uh, um, you know, you're, you're the, 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 your spirit is born again instantaneously, but the soul is a process. But when you ask Jesus, the incarnation level, Jesus comes alive inside of you. Christ is in you. But the fourth level is where we all want to get to. That's where we want to get to. And, and, and that's what we're shooting for. That's what we're aiming for. And that's the transformational level. And that's where you begin to be transformed. Revelation always brings transformation. You don't get transformation before revelation. It doesn't work that way. You have to get a revelation of the blood of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ before there's transformation. But when transformation starts to happen, it's no longer Jesus Christ living in you. Now it's Jesus Christ living through you. And that's where we want to get. Jesus is living through your words. He's living through your hands. He's living through your feet. He's living through your works, your gifts. Jesus is living through you. And Jesus is functioning through you to this lost and dying world in your office place, to your friends, to your neighbors. God is using you to full capacity in your giftings and what he's placed in you where you start to look like Jesus. You start to represent Jesus. You start to represent Jesus in the workplace, in the neighborhoods, and in their families and you just start to represent Jesus everywhere. doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means you're representing. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ now. And that's what we want to shoot for. And that's, the, that's what this series has been about. There's four weeks. This is the fifth week. It's about getting yourself to, stop think, to start, start thinking about others instead of solely on yourself. What is it that I'm called to do for Jesus Christ? Philippians chapter 2, let me read you some scripture. Paul writes this to the church. He said, therefore, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, uh, then make my joy complete by being like-minded like and having the same love. In other words, Having the same culture of love, being one in the spirit and one in the mind, not, not, you know, do nothing out of self, there's that word selfish, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself. Let's all say this together. Can we do that real quick? Let's say this together. Repeat after me. Say, love others above yourself, not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interest of others. I hope that resonates in your soul. The big question is right now is, once I become a follower of Jesus Christ, how do I, how do I, how do I become this person of influence? How do I influence my neighborhood? How do I influence my friends? How do I become an influencer? And how do I lead people to Jesus Christ? Uh, so many people want to learn how to do that. And, and, and so... Um, you may not feel like it right now, but everybody should want to influence more people. 
We should all want to influence more people. Uh, that's what being influential is. We want to be influential. And, and so there's, but there's something, there's this big thing inside of us. It's called selfishness that keeps us from doing it. There's, all, there's a little bit of it in every side of us. Some there's more than others, but there's selfishness. We all deal with selfishness. It's all about self, self-promotion, self, 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 self. And so that keeps us from influencing others. In our society today, in America today right now, the sel- selfishness is the feeder that's feeding our society right now. Selfishness is the feeder that's feeding our culture right now. It's, it's all about everybody's about themselves, me, 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 trying to put their best self out there for everybody to see, try, trying to you know, filter this and filter that. We want our best self. But the reality, Jesus said, Jesus said, you must decrease and I must increase in your life. If you're going to represent Jesus Christ to the world, you have to decrease. You've got to decrease self-promotion and you've got to increase Christ-promotion. You know, think about what social media does. What's all that about? Is that about Christ promotion? That's about self-promotion. Social media is all about self-promotion. Are you decreasing in self-promotion and increasing Christ promotion? That's the question we have to wrestle with. If you want to decrease and increase Christ promotion, you got to stop. We got to stop thinking about ourselves. We got to stop thinking about, and we got to start thinking about other people, value other people, love other people, no matter their race, no matter their color, their creed, their background, their economic status. We got to, we got to love others. When it all comes down to why the church is not being more impactful today in our communities and our society, it's because many people come to church thinking about themselves instead about others. That's what it all boils down to. You know, where am I going to sit? You know, what about my children? What's going to happen to my children? Where do I get a park? Where do I, you know, what if it's too hot? What if it's too cold? What if they don't like the songs I'm singing? What if I don't like those songs? What if I don't like what the preacher's preaching? What if I don't like the coffee? They didn't serve coffee this morning. What's up with the coffee? You don't know, you know, hang on, how many coffees I got because coffee, because we weren't serving coffee? <laughs> we got coffee now. <laughs> Why don't we have this ministry? Why don't we have that ministry? Why don't we have Sunday school? Why do we not have Sunday school? It's all about me, all about, are you following what I'm getting? Listen, the bottom line is, listen, we got to be a church that's not interested. We got to be a church that's interested, interested in, in more interested in reaching the loss than pleasing just a few people in the church. That's our mentality. It's got to be about lost people. When lost people come to this church, when, when they encounter this church, what's their encounter with you like? Do you think about them? Do you notice people coming in? Do you, do you, even if you don't know them, do you notice who they are? Are you thinking about their needs? Are you thinking about what they're going through? It's a culture, guys. It's a culture. It is a mindset. And that's how we're going to face the challenges. That's how, we've, that's how we're going to attack this thing. Um, what happens in the Bible? Jesus is talking to his disciples, and this is what he says in Matthew chapter 9. I'm about to get done. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Jesus saw the multitudes. Okay, the multitudes are unchurched. We know they're unchurched because it shows us in Scripture because it says they're like sheep that doesn't have a shepherd. So they don't have a shepherd. We know they're unlost. We, we, we can assume they're unlost. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. 
You know, when you go to ball games, when you go to your neighborhoods, when you go to workplaces, you see people that are unlaw, that are unsaved, the unchurched. Are you moved with compassion? Do you have do you have compassion? Do you think about what they're going through? Do you think about their needs? And Jesus said, because they're weary, they're scattered like sheep. They don't have no shepherd. And then he said this to the disciples. This just this really been resonating on me the last couple of weeks. The harvest truly is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of harvest out there, but the laborers are few. And I know you've heard this scripture for years, but this jumped out at me this week. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And that's a big statement right there because Jesus is trying to get people out of the church, get out of the church thinking, get out of the church mode Jesus is telling the church, get outside, Go, get into the harvest mode. He's trying to get the church folks outside of the walls. Get out there where the people are. And, 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 and it's important to understand this because especially if you, we, we come from different backgrounds and stuff, Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors. So listen, there's, there's no need. You don't need to spend any more time praying for your lost friends and praying for your lost loved ones and all that. Uh, Jesus is basically saying, they're ready to get saved. They're ready to get saved. The harvest is plentiful. Jesus says there's no shortage of people that are ready to get saved. They're waiting on leaders. They're waiting on people. They're waiting on influencers. They're waiting on laborers. They're waiting the people, the lost. They're waiting on the people, the harvesters, whatever you want to call it, the leaders, the laborers, to bring in the harvest. Jesus said pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers. Send forth leaders. When I say that word leaders, everybody shuts down on me. Right? Because, and let me just tell you that leaders is nothing more than a person that can influence other people. That's what a leader is. I don't care if you're a foreman or you're a boss, you're a CEO. I, I don't care. A leader, the leader of your house, the head of your house, a leader influences other people. That's what a leader is. So don't, when I say, hey, we need more leaders, I'm not asking you to stand on a stage and do a Bible study and preach to people and speak to people. I'm just saying we need more leaders to go out and lead and influence people. That's what we need. Leaders are just people who influence other people. If you can, influ if you can influence people, you're a leader. If you can't influence people, you're not a leader. That's just what it all boils down to. And every one of you are leaders. I, I've seen some of you. You're leaders in your job places. Some of you are great leaders. You lead people. Teachers, you lead people. You influence students. You are leaders. How do we influence people? Here's Leadership 101. It's simple. It's really cool. It's easy. You can remember this. Write it on your hand if you need to. But if you, here it is. If you want to be a leader and you want to be a good leader, value yourself. Value others more than yourself. That's it. Value others more than yourself. If you guys want to come to music, I, I, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you a couple more things and then we're going to quit. I'm going to pray for you. But everybody in here, listen, whether you've been to a leadership seminar, whether you've been to, you had a read leadership books, you listen to leadership podcasts, maybe you've never done any of that at all. Um, if you can value people more than yourself or at least as much as yourself, you're a leader. You're a leader, and you're a good leader. And I believe God wants to raise up leaders in this place. I, want, I believe God wants people to, to understand who they are, 
and start seeing people and be that leader and influence them, get them to the church, get them to get them exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church don't save them, the gospel of Jesus Christ does. Get them to there, get them to this, get, be a leader. And I believe God wants more leaders. I believe God's gonna raise up more leaders out of this church even today. Um, there was a great stirring in the nine o'clock service and I just believe God's raising up some leaders here. And I think the reason why we, we the reason why so many people out there in the world, they're unsaved and they're out there and they're not caring about the churches. Listen to me. There's so many people that they don't really care about the churches. The people in the world, talking about the unsaved people, they have seen church people sitting on the pews of the churches far too long and not caring. Watch this. You know, we had world, this world-renowned artist he is world renowned. He's he's drawn. He's 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 done art and presented the gospel, and just I think all over the world in every continent, he's done it on the pyramids of Egypt, in the courts of Russia, in the court squares of Russia. How many of you invited somebody to see this world renowned artist? I had so many people come to me last week and said, man, I wished I would have invited so-and-so. I wished I would have just pushed this more. I wished I'd have known. I wished I'd have done this. And, and you know, friend day, we ask everybody to invite friends. And, and I don't know how many people come up to me and said, I wished I would have, I wished I would have invited more people. Let me say this again. Let's let this settle on you. The people in the world, the unsaved people, they've been watching the church people sitting on the pews, not caring for them at all. Those people have been to church. That's why they don't go to church. Are you hearing me? They've been there. That's why they don't go. Because the church for so far too long has not cared. Or we've tried to change their behavior patterns and we've tried to change them and we've tried to, and we've been judgmental. God forgive us. And really, that's what social justice is. Caring about others. Caring about it. I care about others. And so it's interesting. Listen to me. It's, this is, it's interesting that the world, the unchurched world, is all about others. They're all about social justice. It's the biggest, it's the number one growing religion in America right now, social justice. It's, a, it's interesting that the world is all about others, and they're not even saved. The church is all about themselves. They'll know your disciples by the love. They'll know you're a disciple by the love. It's not what you say. It's not how much scripture you know. It's not any of that. It's about how you love and how you care for others. They'll know you because they loved you. They, they'll know you because you loved them and you cared for them. And going forward right now, leaving today, for Victory Family to play a part in this, we got to have more influence. We have to have people who are influenced, who can influence people. Go-getters, go out there and get them. On a single weekend today, we might influence a hundred, several hundred people. We get a couple hundred in here on the Sunday morning. We get, we get, you know, four or five, six hundred out on social media, out on the 
video via video, and, and you have to understand that the only way we're going to change the environment, the only way we're going to change our cultures is the church has to become more like Jesus, and we have to see the people, and we have to care for the people and influence them. We have to influence more people. We, we can't do that unless there's more leaders and more laborers going out into the field. We have to have leaders. We have to be willing. And so um, let's say this together, and then I'm going to pray for you. Say, less of me more of Jesus. And that's, listen, you're in a Chick-fil-A church, not McDonald's. That's my heartbeat. It's all about people. That's what Chick-fil-A is. They're all about people. It's all about people. I'm going to represent Jesus Christ well. I thank you in advance for helping me represent Jesus Christ well. So if you would stand with me all over this place, I want to pray for you real quick.